Welcome. This is your host, Vando 208. Today's episode is going to be a little different. Um, what I mean by that is that I'm not going to be interviewing anybody today. Today, we're just going to be talking. Well, I'm going to be introducing myself a little more. Letting you guys know me a little more. I'm going to talk about my experience in policing. And uh, we're going to go from there. And I might tell you guys a few stories in my police days, in my uh, other departments. Okay, so I was a volunteer police officer for the NYPD. I did volunteer policing for about... Eight, nine years, around the almost 10 years, around there. At the same time I was doing that, I was also a police officer for DHS police. I know, it's crazy. I was doing both. <laughs> I was pretty much, if you think about it, I was pretty much wearing a police uniform seven days a week, every week. From being a police officer in DHS police, my regular job, and also being a volunteer police officer, my days off. Let's start off. So, I had a good, I had a good time in auxiliary, the volunteer police. One of the best times I had in my life. I made a lot of good friends. It was just a good time. When I started, it was just a good time. We had freedom to do certain things. We could respond to a lot of dangerous situations. Uh, it was just a good time. It was a learning experience that you can never get anywhere else if you're trying to be a full-time police officer. But I talked about, in the first episode, I talked a little bit about my my experience in uh, volunteer police. So uh, today we're going to be talking about a little bit about uh, my experience in DHS police. Now, I'm not currently working in that department anymore. I'm a police officer in a bigger and better police department. Um, but today we're going to be talking about DHS police and what I've been through in the department. So let's start off from the beginning. Um, when I got hired to DHS and I uh, in the academy, so when I got in, it was a little weird because they were they were starting off, they were getting transitioned. What I mean by that is there was a lot of corruption and a lot of police brutality in DHS police with clients at the time. And this is this is right around the time where a guy got unfortunately got his head completely chopped off of his body in one of the shelters. And they didn't have enough DHS police officers. So the city figured that the shelters are out of control, so we need um, a police department that's well-established to oversee DHS police. DHS police has been around since the 90s. So it was established, but the thing is that the shelters are run like, well, not all of them. But how can I say this? It's a dangerous jungle to work in those places. 
That's the best way to describe it. You have to be tough. You have to um, know how to defend yourself. You're dealing with gang members, rapists, murderers, um, people that come out of prison. The first person they see when they go into shelter is a cop. So you're dealing with everything you can think of in one shot. So uh, NYPD took over. They took over the department. What happened was they took over, they're overseeing the police officers and DHS because of the amount of corruption and stuff like that at the time. Um, so there was one experience, I could say, when I was in the academy that kind of got me thinking. I'm like, hmm, what did I get myself into here? Uh, NYPD IEB division came in to the academy. Before they even came in the room, there was a chief, I'm not going to mention his name. He was talking to us, and IEB comes in and rudely interrupts him. They didn't even care who he was. They said, I'm, I, I, uh, uh, my name is so-and-so. I work for IEB, for the NYPD. And right away, they were treating us like perps. What I mean by that is perps, they were literally threatening us. I'm in the academy. I don't even know what's going on. And they were like, uh, if we do this, I'm going to arrest you. If we do that, I'm going to arrest you. I'm the one who's going to lock you up. If we do this, and I'm like, what, what the hell did I get myself into here? How did you even do anything? I'm in the academy. Then when they started pretty much doing this for um, like 20 minutes, um, what happened after that? Um, after they were doing it for 20 minutes, then they left. And then... The chief of police was uh, actually very mad and upset that that happened. And he was just telling me, oh, they're fucking assholes. Well, telling all of us, uh, those guys are fucking assholes. They come in here taking over, thinking that, thinking that they know everything. It was just going on. But that was my introduction at uh, dealing with NYPD at the time. So in the, in the academy for DHS, the first thing the instructor was telling us, he was making it as a joke, but it was actually true. He was seeing all of our personalities, and he was telling us, you're going to get slammed, you're going to get beat up, you're probably going to get your your hand broken. And this guy was correct. Everybody he pointed at, eventually they get slammed, they get beat up, get their hands broken. It's it's a jungle there. Um, Out of 40 people in my academy, I'm the only one, me and my partner, me and a few, like me like three, are the only ones that didn't get hurt. Mostly because I knew how to defend myself, and two, I'm, I'm a big guy. So, realistically, nobody can manhandle me. I was a big, you know, big, chunky guy, but I was very strong. Um, and, you know, for the two years I was there, 
the stuff I seen is just it was it was just unbelievable. Um, so so let's start off. So my first day, they sent me to Charles Gate. Charles Gate is the biggest shelter. It's an island in New York City that is has the it has all the it has the worst shelters in New York City. What I mean by that is the most dangerous. They have mica shelters there. Those are the shelters that house the most dangerous gang members, um, most dangerous people you could think of, crazy people. And imagine an island full of that. And that, and over there, I think they have like four big shelters. And I know in my academy, people was like, yeah, I want to go there. I want to get all the action. I want to go to the most dangerous spot to learn. Man, there was a kid. There was a kid in my academy. I might have mentioned his name. Um, Hispanic guy. He always wanted He was always asking for it. Let me get Charles Gate. Let me get Charles Gate. I'm going to learn. That guy, a few months later, regretted that he was dying to leave. The thing about Charles Gate is that you start to realize and you start to hear the rumors that once you're in Charles Gate, it's like you're trapped. It's like that's your prison. Because everybody want to leave out of Charles Gate. And everybody want to leave from that place. But it's like once you get stuck there, there's not going to be a mutual trade because people know that that's the worst place to work at when it comes to being in the shelter system. So once you're there, you're technically stuck there for life. It's very rare that you get changed. But I was fortunate enough to get to get put in a shelter known as uh, Parkview. Parkview was the best shelter you could think of. In the, you know, the best. People were jealous of me just because I was there. I made a lot of good friends there. On my very first day, there was a sergeant, some chunky Puerto Rican chick, old lady. And first impressions, first impressions means everything to her. She looked at me. She was like, okay, this guy's chunky guy, but he, like, he can handle himself. First thing she told me was, you could fight? And I'm like, what? What kind of question is this? I said, I think so, yeah. I think I could fight. Why? She's like, hmm. Because I'm going to tell you this right now, kid. This is your first day. This is no joke. People here will try to hurt you, will try to kill you. And if you can't fight then they're going to eat you alive here. I said, okay, we'll see about that. She's like, okay, follow me. I'm not going to mention, okay, so I followed her to the back. There was this back room. There was an officer, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's a close friend of mine to this day. He was my field training officer at the time. And she told me, do me a favor, try to put cuffs on this officer. And I want you to go all out. Do anything it takes. And I was like, what? So it's like she's literally initiating me to see if I could fight. Now, this officer, 
knows how to fight. Um, and I was literally, we were literally tossing. We were literally not fist fighting, obviously, but we were literally getting physical. I did good enough that she, that she said, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be the first team when there's an EDP and, the, and we have to put hands on somebody, we have to come somebody, you're the first entry team, which means that you're going to be first going in there, tussling with the guy, getting him ready so that the second team will cuff him. If all of us go and bombard him at the same time, we all can hurt ourselves because these are, these are small, narrow rooms. So we need to work in teams, and you – Obviously, you can take care of yourself. You know how to fight. So I want you to be the first one. So that was my introduction. My first day, I was didn't know what I was what I was getting myself into. I was like kind of confused. I'm like, okay. Uh, they sent me to Charles Gate uh, for training just to see how it is. They just sent me there. First day. Charles Gate has these little gates that before you go to the facility, you gotta go, you gotta, like, it's like they see you through the gates and then you go through the facility. They were screaming, fresh me, fresh me at me. They saw my uniform being all clean, crispy. And that's a sign that you could tell that you're a rookie because most old timers in policing, they usually, they usually have, you know, their their, their uniforms are worn out and stuff like that. Mostly in the belts, you can kind of tell. Their belts, if it looks so rugged and all that, you can tell he has time on the job. And also about the bars, and they got long sleeve. It tells you how many years. But uh, it's crazy because they're like, fresh me, fresh me. They tell us. Be consistent with everybody. What that means is we don't want nobody bringing in food here, certain food, and this is what it is, and that's it. I I managed to stop a guy. I was an action machine at the time. I said you can't bring the you know these these um these chips here. This guy literally came back with like five gang members telling me. We're going to bring these chips and it's going to be a problem. I looked at him and I said, really? Then I guess there's going to be a problem. I called a couple officers and then we there was a standoff and he backed down. And he said, okay, and then he put it back. Right there, what he was trying to do was trying to see if he could get up, if he could get, um, if he could, like, put fear in me that he could do what he wants. In DHS, there's a lot of people that got extorted and worse because they were afraid. Um, They realized that I wasn't afraid of them, so they backed down. That was my first introduction in in Charles K. Um, So what else? So after that, they sent me back to my regular... Shelter, which it was a uh, um, Parkview. Man, my experience working there, I seen people barking. 
people barking on walls, people putting feces in their faces. I've never been experienced these kind of things before, so you can you imagine um, what I've been through in there. But um, it's a little story. One time, um, okay, so before I tell you that story, you guys know that NYPD at the time, I was telling you guys, took over operations of DHS police. So they had gave us PD portables that connect to their central, which means that the central actually gives us, gives us jobs as well. And also I can uh, pick up jobs from their PD portable and stuff like that. So... So now that you guys know, so when I start telling you guys the stories that's coming up, you guys know why I was getting in contact with NYPD Portable and stuff like that. So, okay, so let's talk about a couple stories. Okay. So Central um, um, hands us jobs that's nearby the shelter, outside of it, or sometimes inside. So one day they called and they were like two eight two eight precinct was the precinct that was connected to the shelter I was working at. So they'll they will call us and they'll say two eight DHS to send you know two eight DHS central to two eight DHS. So I pick up so I pick up two eight DHS to central go. And she was like. Um, we we have we have a job for you guys in 110th Street Central Park North Fourth Floor. Um, for this view, can you check and advise? Uh, I picked up the, so I picked up the job. I said Central, show me picking up the job. Um, mark me eighty four, whatever, and then um, I'll check and advise. So I went upstairs. I picked up, I picked up the job, and there were these two gay couples. Um, these two gay couples. They were arguing because one of them didn't want to take his his meds that would calm him down. So I went over there and I talked him into taking the pills so he calmed down. I said, okay, I'm trying to avoid a collar this night because I was, I, I was already hitting my double. So, okay, an hour later, Central goes to a, to a DHS. Can you uh, pick up a job on the fourth floor again? I said, all right, Central, show me going. This is the second time I got caught for this place. I'm trying to avoid the collar here. And they were like the same people. And I'm like, oh, my God, this might turn to a collar. So I'm telling the people, if you guys don't separate, I'm probably going to have to take one of you guys in. Okay, 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 okay. So what happened? 20 minutes later, we got a call again from, from uh, Central. There's a dispute upstairs. So I'm rushing upstairs. These two couples are fighting. Now, my partner at the time was an old lady. It was just me and her for the entire shelter. The shelter was a big hotel, and there was probably about 200 people living there. It was just me and her until the morning tour shows up. Now, mind you, I'm already hitting. uh, I'm in the second tour already. So I'm trying to break it up, and I try to put cuffs on one of them. The other one gets on top of their bed, goes through the window, and said, if you cuff him, I'm going to kill myself. 
these door, these windows have no safety bars. So now he's literally half of his body's outside. He's about to jump off. So I let go of his partner, and I'm trying to calm him down, let him know to relax, get, you know, get out from the window, don't kill yourself. The guy grabs me in the choke hold, his partner from behind, and now I'm fighting him. My partner goes and freezes. Now she's not doing nothing. Now the partner, now his uh, his husband that tried to kill himself now jumps on top of me, so now I have both of them. So now I'm fighting both of them, trying to reach for one of my weapons, and I can't reach for it because I just have my hand. So I managed to grab the police radio I had, and I said, 2-8-D-H-S to Central, 85, 4th width, 4th width, 4th floor, 4th floor, 110th Street, Central Park North. At this point, Central is calling me back, trying to find out if I'm okay. I'm not responding because I'm fighting the perps. Now Central goes and she's like, now instead of an 85, 85 means office needs assistance. She marks it and switches the call to a 1013, meaning officer down. So because she's, she's calling me, but I'm not responding. So she thinks something happened to me. So the 2A precinct shows up running. And now I'm fighting these two perps, and I'm trying to listen to see if I hear the ambulance, the, the 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 sirens. So now I know that I'm helping in the way. So they do. I hear them. So I'm trying to get away, and I can't. But I managed to push them off me, right? To keep to get some distance and to open the door for them to know where I'm at. So there was a bucket of piss. Somewhere in that room, he tries to throw it at me, but I dodged it, and it happened to hit me in my pants. So now it's more like fucking piss. So they come back, and we're fighting, and I managed to, like I said, pull him back, and I managed to open the door. They push me back, and now I'm, now I'm on the floor outside of the room. At the same time, I fell back, and I hit my head. The NYPD officers see me on the floor. They think that I'm dead. Like they think that, I, that I'm knocked out or something because my shirt was ripped. I didn't even have a shirt. I only had my bulletproof vest because my shirt was ripped. So now they run in the room and the guy punches the NYPD cop in the face. Literally about 50 or 30 cops show up. And they beat the holy hell out of these EDPs. And NYPD says, listen, this is your guy's collar, right? I said, well, whatever, I'll take it. Now I'm hitting 24 hours tour. Now I'm hitting the 24-hour mark. And I smell like piss. So as you can see, I'm frustrated at the time. So now I'm going to the, I'm going to the hospital. With these perps, I'm smelling like piss. I hit 24 hours. I'm already passing out. It was one of it was one of those those days in DHA, you know, working there that it was just crazy. That's when I ended up buying more clothes, more uniform, and keeping it in my locker just in case. So that's one of the stories that I have. I have a few more. I have a funny one. So. 
you guys ever watched the show, the movie Saw 2. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a big, brolic Puerto Rican guy in the movie. And he ended up push, like grabbing the girl and throwing her in a in a uh, in a hole full of needles, thousands of needles. So I had an experience like that in DHS police. I I had a collar of a Crip gang member. I forgot what he did, but I collared him. So I always treat my perps with respect. I always buy them food. This is something I, I always did, even if they did something to me. I bought them like a little sandwich, you know, because I know that central bookings, that food is horrible. So the perp really appreciated the fact that I did that. He was like, listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's a gun that said, there's a person upstairs with a gun. He pointed the gun at one of your officers behind her back. She didn't even see it. But I saw it. He's in this, this, he's in this location. I said, really? Call my supervisor. We get a caseworker. And then we respond to the scene, to the room. When you join the shelter and you sign your you sign your rights away, meaning that DHS police or any police officer can go through your stuff with or without your consent. As long as we have a caseworker there watching us, we can go through, we can go in her room, in their room, without them even not being there. We had a caseworker. Oh my God. We opened this door. And there was hundreds of used needles everywhere in the bed, in the floor. I was pretty much swimming in this thing, like the movie. The Saw movie, I told my sergeant, you got to be kidding me, Sarge. Do we really got to go through this shit? He's like, listen, the guy said he saw a gun, right? We got to we gotta find the gun. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm literally swimming in fucking needles. It was, it was, I was scared. I thought I was going to get poked, and then I had to do the cocktail. Cocktail. For those of you that don't know, the cocktail is this thing that people take. You know, like, for example, when you get bit or you get poked with a needle, you go to the hospital, you get a cocktail, and that's supposed to help you not get any diseases. But it also makes you get sick for a whole month. So you'll be home sick for a whole month. I was swimming in these needles, swimming. I mean, it was just crazy. It was unbelievable. But thank God I didn't get poked with anything. The fact that that girl can sleep in that room with hundreds of thousands of needles everywhere, it's insane. She's literally sleeping in that bed with needles all over the place. It was it was crazy. I never seen nothing like that day in my life. But the shelter the shelter systems, man, is very dangerous. Um, you know, you're dealing with murders, rapists. It, it's just it, it's a very unique place. That if you if you there. There's a lot of people that's going to take advantage of you. And you have to be tough to be there, even as an officer. I remember 
I remember the lieutenant at the time was showing us a video. He was showing it to each tour. He was telling us, this is this is the kind of officer that I do not want in my tour or in in uh, or or me being their supervisor. So if you're gonna know that you're gonna do this, just fucking quit now. And I'm like, what? What 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 a video is this? So he was in charge gate. There was a fight. Somebody knocked somebody out cold and kept hitting him. The officer looked at it. He got so scared that he literally hid himself in a closet, locked himself in a closet, and let the guy get knocked out. The guy who knocked him out was was pretty much saying all, all the gang stuff, and he got away. He was that guy who was scared to his bones. You know what I'm saying? And he uh, he eventually got fired for that. Um, so it was crazy. So you have to be built different in working in these shelters. It's a dangerous jungle. And if you're not careful, they can try to destroy you and, and, and put fear on you. I was known over there for being a little bit of a high head, but also I was respectful, but I didn't play no games. And those guys, that, those gang members there, they knew me that if I was working that day, I gave it three shots, three shots you out. And after the third shot, then it's pretty much game over. So they knew that. So they, you know, they knew who to mess with. You know, like I said, if they can find who's the weakest link, they're going to try to distort them. They did not distort me, I can tell you that much, for a fact. But it was one of those, you know, it's one of those jobs that, like I said, you have to be tough because it's, it's so dangerous. People getting their head chopped off, people getting shot, people getting stabbed, people getting raped on a daily basis. It's something... For example, you know, one thing I love about working in DHS police is the fact that the brotherhood, you know, your partner's going to have your back. Yeah, I said that story about that lady who was my partner. She just froze, but she was an old lady. She was almost retiring. But the brotherhood of you knowing that you're in a dangerous situation, but you have your brothers and sisters that have your back. He's one of the best feelings in the world. I miss that. Um, even though I left and I went to a bigger, better police department, but in my current department, which I'm not going to mention the name, I don't get that kind of um, camaraderie that I had in DHS. It's like every man for themselves in my department, which is kind of sad. But uh, DHS was different, man. It was just different. You know that if you were there for a year, more than a year, you were, you've been through some shit. <laughs> I remember I um, picked up a job of a stabbing. Up in the sixth floor, I think it was. I ran upstairs. 
And I got to the kitchen, and there, this man had a knife stuck in his chest. I immediately grabbed him, and grabbed, like, the thing was, he was trying to take the knife from his chest, and I grabbed the knife, but I didn't let him take it out because he would have done more damage. So I called for a bus, a bus is EMS. And I was told that a girl ran to her room. She's the one who stabbed them. So I told my partner to watch the, the aided. The aided is the, the victim. I ran and I chased her and I opened the door and I put cuffs on her. Put cuffs on her. So I locked her up. This is how the system is so broken. She literally stabbed the guy in the chest. Could have killed him. He survived. I took her to central bookings. I put her through the system. The 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 district attorneys and the judge literally let her go. They literally told me, because in central bookings, when you lock somebody up, sometimes you actually watch your perps see the judge, and and they let you know they will they will let you know and everybody if you know do time or not. This perp, female, literally walked away free. She went back to her shelter that she lived at. Literally, before I even got there. Before I even got there, she was there waiting for me, laughing. That she get that she got no time. The minute she said she was homeless, the, the judge let her go. Told me to my face, officer. Can you uncuff this lady? I was in, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. She stabbed somebody in the chest with a, with a cooking knife. And she was out in a matter of four hours. You know, it's just crazy how the law works now. Um, unbelievable, huh? Well, the stories I have of collars. Have a few when I was there. Um, let's see. There was a time. Let's see. Because there's so many. Okay, so I was in the lobby with my partner. She was in the academy with me. I'm so proud of her because she cut. It was her collar, but I was the assistant officer. I'm proud of her because didn't like. Okay, so it was a funny thing. This man walks downstairs, right? Black guy, and he drops a big bag, literally right in front of us. Literally like a feet from me and my, my partner. And he walks out. And I looked at the back, but I'm like, okay, he just threw garbage. My partner was like, that that don't look right. So me and her opened it. It was 60 bags of crack cocaine. Of crack. We were in shock. I'm like, holy shit. So my sergeant was like, don't arrest him when he comes in. Let him go upstairs, and we'll catch him in his room. It'll be easier for us because he can't run. 
he walks in looking like he dropped something, right? Whatever. So we let him go upstairs. We went upstairs. We knocked. As soon as he opened the door, we tried to cuff him. He tried to run. We had a we got into a little scuffle, and we ended up cuffing him. And you know, me and her, we took him, you know, through the system, central bookings, precincts, everything. So you know, um, that day, um, the judge kept them in the you know in central bookings. So he was out like three days later. But the funny thing about that is, we all had to go to court. He had to go to court, and I went to and I went to with you know to court to see the judge. Um, and I saw this cop next to me, NYPD cop. I said, hey, hey, how you doing? Let him know who I am. And he was he was super cool. He was like, what What are you here for? I said, What am I here for? Um, me and my partner um arrested this guy for sixty bags of crack. He was like, Oh, really? I got the same thing, sixty bags of crack. I'm like, Really? From who? Literally found out. He had caught the same guy uh, two days before for the same thing. We were like, wait, what? It was the most funniest thing. You know what happened? They, he didn't do no time. Me and the cop was like laughing because this is unreal. Now, now I didn't see him back in the shelter anymore because obviously... That's two sixty bags of crack that's lost, and obviously, you could tell that he had to pay that back to whoever he was uh, doing, you know, dealing with. So, a lot of stories like that, you know, dumb criminals and and, and stuff like that. Um, I'm gonna tell you one last story before I end this. I have a lot, have a lot of stories, but I'll I'll tell you guys more about it. As the episodes go on. So this is a guy named Speedy in the shelter. His name was Speedy, his nickname. We call him Speedy because he's always running. One day he comes in, all drugged out, and went upstairs. We got a we got a we picked up a job upstairs about family dispute. We go upstairs. And when we opened his door, his wife is screaming, please help, please help. I ran over there, and what I saw was disturbing. He knocked his teeth out, almost all of them, by himself. And his blood was purple and thick. He was like he would look like a zombie from The Walking Dead. Um, he and my sergeant tried to cuff him, and we were there fight. Like this guy turned to the hawk. He's about like maybe a hundred and thirty pounds soaking wet. We literally fought this guy. He turned to the hawk. And it was like crazy strength. We did everything we could. I always carry four cuffs. Two in the front, two in the back. It's just something I always had, you know, just in case. Because, you know, there was a lot of situations where we had to cuff multiple people uh, in there. Remember, the shelter is like a jungle. So long story short. Um, in that situation, 
Um, I lost my train, my train of thought. What story was I telling you guys? Um, oh yeah, the speeding. So I put two I put two cuffs on him. He was still going crazy. EMS came. We put him in the stretcher in EMS, and the EMS ended up um, restraining him. My partner comes in from the 4 to 12 tour, the perfect time. He's trying to assist us. This guy broke, literally broke through the EMS restraint. Broke. And he has two cuffs. We were fighting with this guy for like half an hour. EMS called the 85 and their radio, like 10 EMS buses showed up. This guy was was unbelievable. He bit he bit my partner straight through the restraint, straight to his shirt, and he was bleeding. This guy turned into um, the Walking Dead zombie. We did everything we could. We were fighting with this guy. We fought him all the way to the hospital. The doctor's words to me was. What in the hell you guys brought me here? And the doctors was assisting us, and even then he was fighting back, fighting back, until they just gave him a needle and knocked him out. Not to find out, obviously, he got laced with some drugs, and he knocked all his teeth out. And I've never met anybody who manhandled me and my sergeant. I'm a big, strong guy. But that was one of those things where I'm like, damn, imagine if this person was bigger than me and he took whatever drug he took. He would have been impossible to take down. You know, uh, but yeah, you know, I had a lot of good times and bad time in, in DHS. And, uh, you know, it's a learning experience. Um, You know... Like I said, I came from, I was trained by DHS police. Towards my academy, okay, my academy was the last academy trained by DHS police until NYPD took over and they were training the new officers coming in for DHS. So um, a lot of things was different. Because they were trained by NYPD. Um, in my era, when I started, since I was the last one trained by DHS police, everything was mostly, you know, we have each other's backs. You can say that blue wall of silence stuff. Not saying that we were doing corrupt stuff, but we were just having each other's backs. When NYPD took over and they were training the recruits, the new breed of DHS police, they were mostly just snitching on each other out for everything. Like, oh, this officer did this. And so many people got fired and trouble, you know, for that. And just the way they trained them, they were just snitching each other out. Like, like little things, not even corrupt stuff. Just little stuff, petty stuff. But that's just how they were trained compared to the guys that, you know, where I I came from when we were trained by DHS. It was like, you know, mostly, you know, uh, we all have to work things out. You know, you know what I'm saying? We were a family. So 
that new breed of officers changed the whole, the whole game in DHS. Um, in DHS, you know. So, like I said, DHS has a lot of good good things. I say a lot of good things about it. I learned a lot. The real world how is how dangerous the job is. I learned a lot of who I am in there. And you just have to be tough working there. And anybody who's there for more than a year, man, they're troopers, man, because I only lasted there two years and I got out. I just couldn't take it anymore. But I had a lot of, but a lot of, I had a lot of good times. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, uh, this is one of those things that I appreciate getting the experience to be there. Um, obviously, right now, I don't work there. I moved on to a bigger and better police department. Um, but what can I say? As it, was, it was one where I lasted. Um, I know this, this, this episode is just basically talking about myself, but... I really want you guys to get to know me and know who I am and what I'm about and stuff like that. Uh, what else I can tell you guys before I uh, end this podcast? So in my new current police department, I'm not going to mention the name because I still work there. I I won an award for marksman. I am one of the best officers when it comes to shooting. Um, every qualification every year, I get a hundred. Even the academy, I got a hundred every day in shooting. Even until this day, I won an award in my academy, and I'm literally the best shooter in my department um, so far. I'm very proud of that because that's a good accomplishment uh, to have. Um, I won several awards for uh, recovering a firearm that was used in an attempted murder. That's another story for another time. Um, just a lot of good experience. Like I said, that I have 13 years of police experience under my belt. Uh, I have many stories, many you know, for many years. Um, I do have another co-host. Um, he was my partner for five years. Um, I know probably in the third episode, he's probably gonna come and introduce himself and stuff like that. This podcast is just going to be talking about life. You know what I'm saying? Our experiences in policing. Listen, policing has changed. Um, I started my police, my police, um, you know, uh, um, my police thing 13 years ago. Um, I know cops from... Back in those days, say police changed. You know, it's, it's a generational thing. Police is always, police is always um, evolving due to certain situations. The George Floyd situation with those racist cops, they changed the game. Um, laws change. I mean, a lot of collars you make doesn't stick anymore, you know. Like the gun collar I had, the guy tried to kill somebody, literally shot somebody. When I recovered the firearm, he only had five months. So nothing sticks anymore. Like that girl that stabbed the guy in the chest 
she was out the same day. So a lot of things changed and for being a cop and right now is not a good time. Uh but uh I know I'm going on, but you know, this is a little bit of my story and hopefully you guys liked it and you guys enjoyed it. That you guys will come back and listen to me. Uh uh we're gonna have different segments. Um we're gonna have people that we're gonna interview. We also, me and my co-host, we're probably gonna we're probably gonna do reaction videos on police interaction shootings, and we'll talk about our experiences and how we would have handled um, that situation. So, overall, this is gonna be a nice podcast. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it, and you know, it's just something fun to talk about. You know. But uh, thank you so much for listening to me and uh, the Station House podcast. And hopefully you guys stay tuned for the next episode. And uh, thank you very much. And uh, have a good night, guys. I'm signing off.